Good morning again, everybody. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. You could locate verse 13. That's where we're going to pick up today in our uh, scripture reading for the, for the message. Then I'm going to be sharing with you a message concerning those who have fallen asleep. I'll go ahead and thank all of you in advance for this Pastor Appreciation Sunday and your kindness shown to me and my family. I do remind you, though, we are an elder-led church, and Brother David is a pastor here at New Life Baptist Church, and I certainly encourage you to show your love and support for him, as I know you do, throughout the month of October. I began to hint at this a few years ago when I began to be the pastor of New Life, uh, that, you know, to for Pastor Appreciation Month in the month of October. Not uh, for me to get anything out of it, uh, honestly, but for a healthy church, for a church to be healthy, a church needs to, to recognize those who are over them in the Lord. We're going to see that in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And a church to be healthy needs to, as Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So there's indications in Scripture, clearly in the Bible, that to recognize those who are over you in the Lord is important. It's even important for... It's important for him and for the congregation that he's able to serve with joy. And, uh, you know, October, Pastor Appreciation Month is a good thing that is, I guess, in in our nation. I guess it's around the world or whatever, but uh, it it needs to certainly extend beyond that. And this congregation over its long haul has has been a wonderful congregation to be a pastor of. And I am thankful for you. And like Paul said of the Thessalonians, you are my glory and joy. If you stand fast in the Lord, then I live. So I believe Brother David would say something similar to that as well uh, concerning uh, the opportunity that he has and the ministry that he has here to be an elder at New Life Baptist Church. I also want to take a moment to recognize my wife because she works diligently. You all have no idea the amount of time, sacrifice, and service that Sherry Swinney puts in for this congregation. For our children, for our youth, for our ladies, she, she does so much administrative work, you would have no idea uh, the amount of hours that she puts in. And uh, I, as much as anything, she ought to be recognized and appreciated today uh, with, with us. So uh, I want to say that as clearly as I can. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, and Sherry, I'll thank you for your faithful service. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. God's blessings be upon the reading of His Word this morning. Let's go to Him in prayer before we hear the preaching of the Word. Our gracious God, I come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, knowing today that we've been justified by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access into this grace in which we now stand. Father, I thank you for saving lost sinners like us through Jesus Christ, your Son, the one who died and rose again and lives forevermore. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Seeing that he is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners and has gone through the heavens. It is in Jesus' name that I come to you today and pray, Lord God, that we as a people, as a church, would stand fast in the Lord. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be glorified with Christ one day. Lord, as we are presented blameless in holiness. And Lord, let our times together in your word be used to that end. That we might be a people that bring you glory one day. As we stand before God, our Father, at the, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. Please bless me now and help me as I seek to deliver Your Word. Use it in our lives. Lord, be glorified through it, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Concerning those who have fallen asleep. So we enter into this passage today, this morning. And it's my goal to deal directly with this text. And not to allow other passages to take away the integrity of this passage. Uh, Sometimes when you're beginning to study things out in the Bible, you need to take it one passage at a time and then build your theology about that passage, your understanding of it over time. Um, Now, if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you have your uh, eschatological or your, you know, your view of the end time? How much of all that is perfectly ironed out in your mind? Um, you know, we, we may not have a lot of people here who say, yeah, I've definitely got all of that figured out. And some of you may say, I haven't, I don't even really know where to start to figure that out. Today's really a good starting place because the passage we're dealing with today is one of those key passages in the Bible having to do with the coming of Christ. Now, what you can do is approach it this way, one passage at a time. Work through one passage at a time. Get your understanding of that passage, interpreting it in context uh, uh, that it is given. Get a solid understanding of that and then go to another passage. 
Study that one, figure it out in context, and then go to another passage. And this thing isn't done overnight. Typically, it will take many years of studying the Bible, and that's okay. Because this thing that we're involved in is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we are uh, year in and year out reading God's Word, studying God's Word, and growing in His Word, growing in understanding of it. So, this is a key, key passage, but it's not exhaustive. We will learn more of the coming of Christ as we continue through this letter and into the next letter, 2 Thessalonians. All right, so that's where we are today. Now, concerning the Thessalonians, why, why is Paul even dealing with this? Why does he talk to them so much about the, the coming of Christ? The Thessalonians, as we're going to see in this passage, were probably afraid or concerned that the Christians who were... Um, who had already died, were going to miss the coming of Christ. And you know that every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the coming of Jesus. So Paul is emphasizing this with this congregation. They were particularly interested in the return of Christ, but they were also very concerned that those who had died we're going to miss out on it. So that's what he's dealing with in large part here in this passage. Our first point today is going to be the reality of the gospel. The reality of the gospel. And we'll see this in verses 13 and 14. Again, as we just work our way through the text. That's our goal. Just to work our way through this passage and let it speak. Alright, so in verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, I got tickled this morning when I came in and was talking to somebody. And they said, oh, I see that we're talking about the largest denomination today. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the ignorant brethren. (laughs) I told him I was going to use that this morning. That, That was pretty good. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, the word ignorant there, it, it means to have, have a lack of knowing or understanding. So if you're ignorant, you're a not-knower. You do not know. Paul uses this word quite often. I would encourage you to pay attention as you're reading through some of the epistles. And you'll find it there. It's even in the book of Hebrews as well. So as, he says, I, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I do not want you to be a not-knower, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul has already addressed something else using the word concerning. Does anybody remember what it was? Brotherly love. Good job. Good job. Concerning brotherly love in verse 9. This is the second issue that Paul is addressing uh, that the Thessalonians apparently are concerned about. But he says, Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For, he says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now let me give you three words if you're taking notes. They're not on the screen. But the first word that you could write down is sleep. Sleep. The gospel changes death uh, for the believer. And the way the gospel changes death for the believer is that it is no longer actually viewed as death, but it's viewed as sleep. 
when you're reading in the book of 1 Corinthians, you will often see Paul uh, refer to the death of saints as those who are asleep. One commentator has said it is significant that Paul does not refer to Jesus' death as sleep. The difference between Jesus' experience and that of believers is that he really endured actual separation from God for the world's sins. Because of his real death, Christian death has been transformed into sleep. So do you understand that? The first word is sleep. Jesus has changed our physical death so that it is no longer viewed as a as a separation from God. The second word is this, sorrow. Sorrow. And you see this in verse 13. He says at the end of it, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now it's important to point out, church, that when a loved one dies, when a fellow believer dies, there is still sorrow. It doesn't mean that we as Christians are no longer feeling any of those losses or any of that pain or mourn when we have the loss of a loved one. We do still sorrow. You see it in the text. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. When Jesus was at the when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, what's the shortest verse in the Bible say? Or one of the shortest verses. It's actually tied. There's less letters in this one than any of the others. What does it say? Jesus what? Jesus wept at the loss of his friend Lazarus. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, when Epaphroditus was sick, Paul was concerned that he would have sorrow upon sorrow if he were to die. But So we see that sorrow is real. We are not numb to that. But the thing that sets us apart from the unbelieving world is that we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? That brings us to our next word, separation. Sleep, sorrow, separation. It's really... No separation. Because in verse 14, he's again, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we live and we live with God just because we are dead or asleep physically does not mean that we are separated from the love of God. Verse 14, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. You might want to write this reference down. Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, verse, 20, verse 38 and 39, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even physical death does not separate us from the love of God. And the Bible even tells us here in verse 14 that He will bring with Him those who sleep 
in Jesus. Um, You can go back to verse 13 of chapter 3. And this is a place where he references this again. He references or mentions the coming of Christ. He says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You notice there at the end, with all his saints. And in verse 14 of chapter 4, Even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So his saints will be brought with him, even those who sleep in Christ. Please write down 2 Corinthians 5.8 if you're taking notes. 2 Corinthians 5.8, the apostle writes there, he says, for we are pers- let, me, let me get there and, quote and read it. For we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. His view was when the, when the Christian dies and is absent from the body, he is present with, with the Lord. Let me give you another reference. Philippians 1, 21 through 23. There may be some people here this morning, there may be children here this morning, and you're like, what, what happens when we die? What happens to a Christian when they die? These passages tell us what happens. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 was the first one. The next one, Philippians 1, 1, 21. For for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Now verse 23. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. Paul's understanding of his physical death was a departure from this earth and from his physical body, and it was a to be with Christ, which in his opinion is better than being here. And I think we'd all say amen to that, right? So those are just a couple of places. Now, when Jesus was on the cross and the... And the thief was there, one on each side, and one said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was Jesus' response to him? Today you you shall be with me in paradise. So for the believer, in case you're having any questions about that, these are some places that you can go to and say, hey, when a believer dies, they are with the Lord. Their soul dies is with the Lord. I'll give you one more reference. I'm not going to turn to it. Revelation 6, 9. We see the souls of those who had died for Christ are under the, the altar in heaven. All right. That's probably long enough on that point. If we don't get to moving, we're not going to get all this covered. So let's go to point number two, return of the Lord. Verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16. For this we say to you, abide the word of the Lord. So in other words, he, he, this isn't the opinion of man. This is the word of the Lord. The things that he's saying is the word of the Lord. Continuing in verse 15. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
All right, now I think I have a, another line up here for you. The word coming in verse 15 is that word you've heard me mention some, parousia, is the transliteration of that word from the Greek. And it means, it's actually a compound word, but it means to be present. So the idea here is an arrival of Christ. It is the presence of Christ. This word is found in chapter 2, verse 19, and it's found in chapter 3, verse 13, where in both of those, Paul talks about the coming of Jesus, the parousia. Now, it's there, there it is. Okay, good. Now, he says there that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So we uh, see here that the sleeping saints, the sleeping saints will precede those who are alive and remaining. Notice it in the verse. That we who are alive and remain until the parousia of, Christ, of the Lord will by no means precede. In other words, those who are in the grave, saints who are in the grave, physically asleep, will go before us to the Lord. And we're going to see this in verse 16. We're going to see more of the return of the Lord. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So notice this about the return of the Lord. There's three things. There's a shout, there's a voice of an archangel, and there's a trumpet of God. There's, there's different opinions about if these are all kind of talking about one loud noise that is going to occur or if these are literally three different things. You know, I want to shout this morning in really loud, even a lot louder than, you know, what I just did, even though that wasn't really a shout, but I don't want any of these little children to get startled and start crying or anything like that. But that's the idea. If I were to shout this morning, you would all maybe perk up a little bit and you would hear well, the Lord, when He returns one day, there's going to be a shout. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So I, I wonder, I don't know what that shout's going to be. Maybe when Jesus comes forth, He's going to shout and say, Come forth! Or maybe, maybe it's going to be something else. But Jesus is going to come with a shout. And perhaps it is that shout that is going to awaken those who are dead in Christ and they will rise from the grave. It's also with the voice of an archangel. The voice of an archangel, um, there's, there's, one, there's one angel in particular in the Bible that is referred to as an archangel. Does anybody remember who it is? Or know who it is? Michael? 
That's the only one that's definitively called an archangel. There may be others. We're not going to get into that too much. But Jesus is coming back with his angels. Michael was an angel who contended. He was an angel of war. Um, He was a guard. And he is coming back. Well, this may be a reference to him. I don't want to dig into that too much. The last one's the trumpet of God. Uh, write down these references, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. Here it says, In a moment, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. That's 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-two. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, Jesus said, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So with this, you can say, hey, when Jesus returns, according to what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's going to be a shout, there's going to be the voice of an archangel, there's going to be a trumpet. There are some who view at times the return of Christ as something that's being that is secret. I'm not getting into the ins and outs of all of that, but for me it's hard to square the return of Christ as being something that is secret when it says there's going to be a shout, there's going to be the voice of an archangel, and there's going to be a, a trumpet. So it's just something to consider as you are studying this out, thinking it through. Let's go to our third point. Our third point is this, resurrection of the sleeping. The resurrection of the sleeping. We've seen so far the reality of the gospel. We've seen next that there's the return of the Lord. And we've seen, we're going to see thirdly, is that the, the resurrection of the sleeping. It's, it's right there in verse 16. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The resurrection, where the body of those who have died comes forth out of the grave and ascends up to meet the Lord in the air. The resurrection of the sleeping. Listen, church, I hope that you understand this morning that Jesus, when He saves us, He doesn't just save our spirit, He doesn't just save our soul, but He saves our whole person. And because He rose physically from the dead, it is proof that we too will one day have a physical body which we will be able to dwell in the presence of God even before Him and and be with Him. Because we have a glorified body like unto that of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves us body, soul, and spirit on the day of His coming. And that's what Jesus does. If we didn't have a physical body one day, how could it be sure that we, that Jesus, how could it be said that Jesus has actually conquered death if we do not have a body? Again, I've got some scriptures that you could write down pertaining to this, but we, we just read that one in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, 
but in Philippians 3. Because you might be saying, how in the world is Jesus able to do that? How in the world is Jesus able to take us when we've turned to dust? And He's able to resurrect our bodies so that now we are with Him. And the Bible tells us how He is able to do that. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body. How? According to the working by which He is able even to subdue All things to Himself. Jesus' power is able for He Himself was able to take His life up from the grave. He said, I lay my life down, but I will take it up again. Christ has the power to do that. In John chapter 6, 39 and 40, um, He says, all those who come to Me, I will lose none, but raise them up in the last day. And so Jesus will do for all of His saints. And if you are in Christ, if you believe that Jesus died and that He was raised again from the dead, then I tell you then that day you will be raised. You will be raised from the dead because Jesus does not lose any of His, but He has promised that He would raise us up. We believe that Jesus lives. And because He lives, so do we. Now, the third, fourth point is this, the rapture of the remaining. The rapture of the remaining. And you may say, well, I don't see rapture in this text at all. Where are you getting that from? Well, um, here's where we get it from. You see the phrase caught up in verse 17. The two words caught up. In Latin, that's translated raptus. Now, it's nothing like that in the Greek, but in the Latin, it's raptus. And that's where we get the English word rapture. Now, you may have heard about the rapture of the church. That's taken from this phrase right here, caught up, and just as I've laid that out before you. So in verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain. You see, he uses that phrase a couple of times here, alive and remain. We who are alive and remain. Does that mean that Paul thought he was going to be alive and remaining? When Jesus came back? Or does he mean here that we who believe that Jesus died and rose again, we who are alive and remain? All of the church who is alive and remains when Jesus returns shall be caught up together. I would lean toward the latter of those two. But it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured together with them. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's, that's where you get the rapture of the remaining. They are caught up in the air. Now you'll notice our next point. The reunion of the saints. That's in this verse as well. Verse 17 then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Now, who's the them? Say again. There you go. 
those who were dead in Christ and who have been raised bodily. They have gone up. They preceded us. We, they preceded those who are alive and remain. They've gone up. And then uh, those who are alive and remain are caught up together with them. Okay? So they're raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, you remember what happens there. Jesus is uh, taken away into heaven. He ascends into heaven. The, the Bible says, Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, which you can imagine doing that thing as Jesus is going up into, the, into heaven and watching him. It says, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus went up in the clouds. Jesus is coming back in the clouds. And when we meet the, when, when the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain are met together in the air, they will Meet the Lord in the air. That will happen in the clouds. Last point. Relief of the church. It says in verse 13, I mean verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. If you'll flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10, passage we'll be looking at next week. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, We should live together with Him. You know, we can get wrapped around the axle sometimes about the second coming and trying to figure all of that out. But isn't this right here really the key to everything and the point of everything? And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another. Isn't that our goal? No matter what your end time view is, uh, isn't that the goal of all of us? That's why when it comes to discussing the end times, these are not things that we ought to divide over. This is an in the family discussion because all of us have the same goal in mind. All of us have the same objective. All of us have the same desire. All of us have the same hope, and that's to be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever the one who has saved us from the wrath to come the one in whom we believe he died and rose again not for the sins of everybody else but our for our sins and you think about all the funerals christian funerals that have occurred since the thessalonians received this letter 
They comforted themselves with these words. But just think about all the Christian funerals where a Christians died. And this text has been read. And the, the ones who are alive and remaining who hear those words are comforted because they realize, hey, it's not over. Jesus is coming back. And that person who is, who is dead in Christ, they're going to be raised. But even now, that person's not separated because of death because they are right now with the Lord. And they're comforted in that very truth. So I'll, I'll end, you know, just by reminding you that the gospel transforms death. There will be a reunion of the beloved and we will always be with the Lord. Now, will there be comfort at your funeral if the Lord tarries? If the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetimes, any of us, on the day when we die and we're put into, a, into the grave and people gather around, will they gather around there as those who don't have hope because you didn't believe? Or will they gather around there with confidence that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And that they know that though your body sleeps now, one day it's going to be raised. And they will re- re- reunite with you in the air when we meet the Lord at His coming. If you don't have that assurance, then the thing that all of us ought to do today is, see, do you believe the message of the gospel? Because it's in that gospel, and it, in it alone, that we can have that assurance. Have you believed that Jesus Christ died? Have you believed that He rose again? And if so, have you followed Him in believer's baptism? being buried with Christ through baptism into death and raised to walk in newness of life? Because that's the Christian profession of our faith. That's what Christians do to say, I'm in Christ. My hope is in what He has done and accomplished on the cross. If you haven't ever done that, and you believe that today you believe in the Lord, and you want to commit your life to Him, then I encourage you, do that. And uh, we will help you follow through in believer's baptism because that's what the Lord has given us to do. All right? Does that make sense? It's pretty simple. We won't draw our swords over this text, but we'll remember that we are all seeking the Lord. We all want to be with Him one day. We'll continue to grow in our understanding of His Word. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank You for Your Word today. It's clear in so much. And I pray, Father, that as we have heard it, that we would be set, that we would set our faces all a little more toward that end that is awaiting us of always being with the Lord. May we be found blameless in holiness when that day comes. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.